Well, welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for this first edition of the Rugby World Cup pod. Coming to you live from France, it's 12.15am on Monday morning, Christy, I believe. Sam Bruce with you all yet again, wrapping up a big weekend of Rugby World Cup action. Uh, Christy, uh, we, we discussed doing this pod a couple of times over the weekend, hadn't really settled on a time. I think we were probably agreed it was going to be sometime on Monday when I got down to St. Etienne. I'm still in Paris right now. You've made the trip south already. And then we've just seen uh, one of the most extraordinary games of Rugby World Cup footy, I think I can remember. Um, Wales and Fiji in Bordeaux. We had suspicions it was going to be an absolute belter. It was, but it was drama personified. Wasn't it? It lived up to every ounce of anticipation that we had right the way from Probably the best part of three years ago when the World Cup draw was announced. This was a phenomenal game. I think the best pool match I've... Well, I, I think it won't be topped this this tournament. Certainly the best um, uh, since, I'd say, 2015 when, when Japan beat the Springboks. Obviously, Japan didn't go on to 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 make the uh, the knockout stages. But if you think about this one... It all comes down to next week now. Everything's on the line for Fiji. They're 32-26 losers against Wales in an epic where Fiji had it in their grasp, uh, a, a semi-Rodradra built ball out wide, the, the touch line in his sights. And you think about a man who's scored tries for fun for the Parramatta Eels, has done so in Europe, become one of the biggest names in both the English Premiership and the French Top 14. A moment he would love again, a, a ball that he would pr- probably prefer to have hit his chest rather than the deck. But wow, what a game! And and Wales personified with their grit and determination to scrap until the end. Before we uh, unpack this one a little bit further, it, it kind of feels like the game this tournament needed this weekend. Um, for those of you who have obviously been getting up in the middle of the night uh, to watch either the Wallabies or the opening game early on. Saturday morning, uh, France and New Zealand, and maybe a little bit removed from France, aren't exactly killing it with the delivery of this tournament so far. There's been dramas around uh, stadium access, uh, food and beverage, uh, beers running out before halftime. And look, if you've saved, you know, your money the last few years, you've 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 been through the the hard times of COVID. You've been looking forward to this event as a fan who's travelled to France for the occasion. And if you're arriving, it's already hot. And, you know, anyone who's been to Europe over the years will know that it's it's not really equipped for the absolute warm weather, particularly in the what's meant to be the, the second week of autumn. But those other things, um, the World Rugby, the local organising committee, they've been copying a lot of heat around the delivery of this tournament. Uh, they've let themselves down. They've let the game down. And while we've had some good rugby over this weekend, um, a great opening event with France and New Zealand on Friday night, it's probably just been a little bit negative, I think it's fair to say. It kind of feels like this was the game that world rugby will be thinking, my goodness, thank God this has happened on the last game of the opening weekend. As you said, we we thought this was going to be the one that really uh, took things to another level in terms of its intensity and ramifications for the tournament. It just feels like they'll be really thankful that this has happened and uh, got this cracking outcome, this cracking 80 minutes that went down to the wire and um, it's come just in time. 
They will. There'll be a fair bit of heat on the referees, though. The officials, uh, Matthew Carley's already being slammed on social media. Uh, you can imagine that that will continue for the next 48 hours. Look, I'm going to try to stop that dead in its tracks. I thought he was reasonable. I think the great thing about rugby and the frustrating thing at times, depending on what side of the ledge you fall on, is its subjectivity. You know, there's it's so much grey in the game of rugby. At every breakdown, there's grey. Most scrums, there's grey. And at times, yellow cards, uh, penalties, but particularly yellow cards, are shown. Uh, more so about uh, how it's got to the place um, rather than how many penalties or infringements. So it's the where and the when. Uh, and, and we saw that. There was multiple times that Wales were given warnings that you will lose another one unless you clean up your act. Fiji uh, spilled the ball over the line twice in, in both halves, I think it was. And you compare that to the last... 15 minutes or so, 10 minutes of the game, and a Fijian is showing a yellow card. This rolling will uh, drive uh, Wales to get over it. Looks like being the match healing try, yet Fiji just turned the game on its head, didn't they? They scored two quick tries and so nearly scored a third. It's a game that they will feel that we should have done better. We should have iced out. We dominated territory. We dominated possession. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you win the game, but you put yourself in a great position. And Simon Alwalui, I know that they're such a spiritual side, a team that's always, you can see that through their singing and how close they appear, but that will really rock them off the back of it. A couple of disappointing World Cup campaigns. Could it be a case of, here we go again, Wales was certainly dogged, but uh, I feel for Fiji tonight. I really do, Christy. I, I thought there was a, a succession of penalties there, uh, probably around the 55 to 60-minute mark, where Wales got one too many. Well, I think the warning came too late. I think the warning should have come one penalty earlier. Um, and when it did, Fiji eventually turned the ball over. And I think what their fans will find hard to swallow is the fact that as soon as Wales got down inside the Fiji in 22. There was one penalty, that rolling mall one you mentioned, and it was a straight yellow. Now, whether that was, uh, I must admit, I was uh, watching this in French commentary, um, as you and I have been doing, so I'm not um, privy to exactly what the explanation was at the time um, with the audio not coming through from the ref, but from Carly, Matthew Carly, rather. But... Um, that just felt very sudden as opposed to what the Fijians had been pounding away at the Welsh line, a uh, succession of penalties there. I thought Carly left it one call too long, one penalty, one infringement too long there when Fiji were hard on the line when they were down by two scores. Surely, certainly they came back and gave it a real shout at the end and, you know, were one drop ball from semi Rudrader away from scoring and you mentioned the the, uh, the knock-on over the lines in one and either half as well. But uh, there's going to be a sour taste in the Fijian fans' mouths uh, over the, the next few days, and I can totally understand why. It's tough. They're fine margins, aren't they? You get to professional sport, and whether or not it's in a pool stage or a knockout match, you, you don't want the sort of um, officials to dominate discussion. We saw Ben Ryan, the former Olympic gold medalist uh, winning coach for Fiji, uh, express his disappointment at it. And uh, Namani Nadolo, another one. The list goes on and on. 
at the end of the day, I think we've seen that there's been off the back of what was it, George Mawala with the uh, decision for him to be suspended for five matches when Owen Farrell gets off Scott, well, not necessarily Scott Free, but initially he did anyhow before World Rugby stepped in. There does seem like there's double standards at times, doesn't there? I don't know about on this occasion. Uh, it's an unfortunate one, but I think we also need to appreciate that that referees aren't going to be perfect, and um, it wasn't like a a red, a controversial yellow or red card like we might have seen with other things with the the high contact, the head on head that was seen with Tom Curry, um, and, and we'll get to that. But there's these are these are people, and I hope that people are respected regardless of um, their disappointment or how they feel coming out of the game. Can I put this to you, Christy? We had Yako Piper on Friday night, one of the world's best refs. Uh, we had Angus Gardner, the Australian for Scotland, South Africa today. Um, I wonder why Wayne Barnes wasn't doing that game tonight. He was on the touchline earlier today. Oh, I think it was maybe for, um, was it Scotland, South Africa? I, I, I'm wondering why this is the the marquee finish of the weekend's opening games and that needed a marquee referee who could manage the situation. And um, oh, this is, you know, again, we, we don't like to go hard at referees on this podcast, um, but it just felt like Matthew Carley lost, um, not the feel for the game, but just a little bit of management at times. And, and could it have had a, you know, one of the elite referees, clearly a, a defining game in pool C and, you know, maybe this is the the byproduct of, of where we're at in world rugby that we're at a really good stage in the World Cup too, that we've got this many games that do need the top quality referees, that elite kind of four or five that we've got at international level doing these games. Um I, I don't know. I it, it just felt like maybe that was a that was a Wayne Barnes game that could have been slightly better met, managed uh, at the back end. Oh, I'm not gonna Profess to say that I watched all of the, um, the 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 European games up north over the past season, but those that did and I've heard from have said that Matthew Carley had a a strong season. So I, I tend to agree with you. But if you go through other sports, from cricket to whatever it is, you're going to hear referees um, or umpires come under scrutiny, and whether or not that's missed LBW shouts or sticks that ultimately get changed. Um, it's 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 the human eye, and uh, I, I agree. Wayne Barnes is absolutely one of the best referees in the world at the moment. It's it's, it's a shame that perhaps the team is uh, their chances have gone down somewhat. Uh, but let, let's be honest, BG. Yes, they finished with a wet sail, but they left so many moments out there. And if you're a hard judge, and if you're Simon Rowley, you're not taking aim at the referee. I don't think he would either. He won't. No, it's, it's it's not his go. No, he's not. But you you go, guys. Have you even heard the the players speak afterwards? That they weren't taking pot shots at the referee. They understood that they left and they had moments out there. They should have been able to be further in front, uh, right throughout the game, and not been in a position where they had to score three tries in the last ten minutes. Absolutely. And it's our duty just to throw it all out there and throw, you know, various ideas at you. And um, you're going to have your own minds to make up uh, across a number of events of the weekend, clearly a number of incidents. And 
decisions and, and whatever else. But um, yeah, I can I think we can all agree on the fact that this this game was the one that the, the tournament needed to get us going. Um, not um, not the not the dream weekend. Certainly, uh, you know, positive in some respects and negatives in others. But uh, an exhilarating eighty minutes there in Bordeaux. And if you've paid your money, hopefully you got in on time. You managed to get three or four beers if that's uh, the way you're inclined. Uh, didn't have to wait too long for them. Um, and you had a great night if you were there tonight. Let us know if you were um, because it looks like an absolute uh, barnstormer uh, from what we were able to watch on TV. Uh, Christy, all right, let's jump now to... Let's go to the Wallabies second up, given this is an Australian podcast. Uh, 35-15 uh, at the Stade de France uh, on Saturday night. Over Georgia, um, a bit of an odd one again for Australia, you'd have to say. A very positive first 20 minutes, the first positive 10 minutes uh, in particular to start with, two tries that really set the game up. And you thought for a second, you know what, they might just be able to kick away here and really run up a bit of a statement win. But to the Georgians' credit, and I think, you know, to a lot of people who've previously only seen Georgia at World Cups, um, they may have seen the scrum dominance. They may have seen the finishing 10 or 15 minutes when they beat Wales uh, in uh, last year at, at Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. And it was all built around the scrum. But what you and I saw live uh, yesterday was a team that is evolving their game. Um, they've got some talented outside backs uh, in Nashville. And we're going to probably not embarrass ourselves too much by trying to pronounce too many of these names. But the really who plays for Leon, the fullback, um, at an absolute barnstorm of both the wingers. One got a yellow card, but the other one, uh, Dudzi, again, I'm, I'm not going to really um, embarrass myself here, but um, there, there's a bit more to the Georgians game than just scrum and set piece. Um, we saw that yesterday. Um, it, it probably felt like, in the end, a, a fairly fair reflection of the game. Certainly, if the Wallabies had got that try... Uh, or at least had a better crack just before halftime there and maybe got to 26-3 as opposed to 21-3. When they were up a man uh, after the the yellow card for the Georgian winger there just before halftime, then maybe they may have gone on and gone to 40 or 50. But as it was, um, the Georgians probably had the better of that second half. So 35-15 so kind of felt about right? Yeah, I think it probably did. And... Eddie Jones won't necessarily care whatsoever about the scoreline, I don't think. And he kind of expressed that throughout his press conference. I remember four years ago that England and their their media, which will drum up anything, will and did really bemoan and criticise and say that England was struggling right the way throughout that tournament. And yet they came away and they blitzed Australia in the quarterfinal, the one game that really mattered. And you don't necessarily want to show all your cards in the first game, certainly not against a side like Georgia, but you want to just get the business done. And Australia locked and loaded five points. They're now on top of Pool C. Uh, a great game, obviously, afterwards um, between Wales and Fiji, where people that would have watched that would have gone, oh, hang on, the Wallabies could be in danger here. But but I, I thought I saw enough in the first 20 minutes to suggest that they're certainly on the right track. Um, they finished the game reasonably well, taking a couple of opportunities there. I just saw that the game and the tempo changed drastically when Tate McDermott got injured in about the 34th, 35th minute. 
And there was probably two moments that were critical in that. One, uh, both McDermott going down with a concussion, looks likely you'll miss the game against Fiji. Generally speaking, a, a mandatory 12-day stand down if you are showing significant signs of concussion. I think the fact that he lay prone for quite a while was a significant it, sign. It is a category one. He's gone. He won't play against Fiji. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that was a big moment because I don't think Nick White at all throughout this year, including Super Rugby, but especially this test season, has shown any ounce of that tempo that the Wallabies are trying to play with. But but uh, also, I think there was a moment where Will Skelton pulled everyone together. And, and I won't use the language that he kind of expressed, but it was just about doing your job. Because you know what? The Wallabies, I think, went away from that for a little while. They were a little bit loose. Uh, they got burned on the fringes a couple of times. That happened in the second half too. But it was about let's nail these cool rolls, continue to kick long, and then when we're there 22, we're going to score tries. And we saw that a few times. When you when when they got opportunities in that 22, they paid a fair bit of respect by taking shots at goal. That's how you win test rugby. Fair play, it was hot, but it's how you win test rugby. But... The aerial prowess of Mark Nowang and Eduasi came to the full once again. But also how damaging Jordan Pattaya, Marika Corabetti, and Nolan Eduasi can be when they're given an ounce of room. We saw that. It was a good game. It's an impressive moment. Uh, a strong front row. The line-out functioned for 60 minutes before Arnold was taken off. Then it did go to shit. Uh, it wasn't just because of world skills. It, it, it went to murder, mate, I think they say around here. Oh, absolutely. And and when you're carrying a Rob Leota, I think he's 190 centimetres. That's nearly 20 centimetres shorter than uh, than Richie Arnold. You you take, you take bring on a Lange Gleeson, who's not a particularly tall back rower. That puts a lot of pressure on a Matt Fesler, who's very inexperienced at this point in time. Yes, his line-out throw wasn't great, but there's many moving parts, including brand new front rowers who have probably played a combined three or four tests between them. Uh, there's, there's, you can understand why the line out struggled at the end, which would have probably seen the Wallabies go from 35-15 up to 45-15. But some, some good moments and a, a really great showing from from Skelton, who was, I think, the man of the match, but also Ben Donaldson, 25 points out of the 35, took his opportunities with two tries, kicked well, missed only one, uh, kicked long from general field kicking. Uh, that's a moment, a game that should, I would think, see him retain the fullback jersey against Fiji, but I, I, I wouldn't discount Andrew Kelway coming onto a bench because I think he does so much, covers a lot, and offers a lot uh, short he need to be brought onto the field either on the wing at outside centre or fullback. Yeah, I was talking with about that with friend of the pod, Tom Hilliard, tonight uh, over a quiet ale to round down the weekend. And it, it just feels like that presence of Vernavalo on the bench is a bit of a waste when he can only cover the wing. Uh, you look at Kellaway, who can cover 13, the wing, and 15, um, you know, uh, fairly easily. So um, I'd be surprised if that. Uh, change on the benches and made for Fiji. In terms of the line out, I understand what you're saying, and I, I I listened to both Eddie Jones last night and and Dan Palmer and today on on media, and I I, I just uh, 
I'm troubled by it slightly in the fact that maybe they're, they're one experienced body there up front, um, short. Um, I'm sure they'll be better for the run, absolutely. And I think uh, Dan made the point today that it was about 44 test caps between them coming off the bench. But, um, you know, you, you've made your bed, guys, and, and now you've got to line it. So part of me has got to just comes back and says, you know what, Um that's no, not good enough. You guys have gone with this strategy, so you've got to put the heat on these guys. No excuses, right? If if they've been chosen, they've got to come on and do the job. And and they didn't do that the other night. And and that line out just before half time, as I said, it was a very uh impressive first twenty. Maybe just the Georgians threatened a little bit from that twenty to thirty minute mark, but um following that yellow card just before half time, it really felt like the the foot on the throat foot on the throat opportunity, didn't it? To to put another score on and be at least 26-3 up at the break. Um, they butchered the transfer at the line out there and, and going to halftime knowing that that opportunity uh, has been wasted. And then probably an even poorer start to the second, wasn't it, really? You, you look back and, and Nick White drops a really good near 50-22 in deep into Georgian territory, a, a brilliant bit of, um, you know, a, a piece of work from the Georgian winger there to deny him. Uh, that kick, that 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 line out for for the Australian forwards, but um, the chase was poor. Um, you fast forward again, Carter Gordon then kicks dead in goal from turnover ball with three guys who were screaming for the ball outside him, and I know the heat was a factor. And um, you know, there's kind of been a bit of smirk about the Wallabies too, Christy. I don't know if you've seen this that every time the the heat's been brought up, I don't know whether they're they're trying to make it a thing. Is it? Oh, every time that that gets mentioned, that oh, here we go again. You know. Well, they feel like they've done the hard work and they're prepared for it. Maybe it's that's that side of things. But on that occasion, that had to go through the hands. Um, instead, it was a scrum, penalty, penalty, Georgia score in the corner. And, and, and suddenly that momentum had shifted. And it, it, it kind of felt like it shifted for the whole half, bar those two Wallabies tries. I thought the Georgians were the superior team in the second half. I don't know how you saw that. But um, they butchered a couple of uh, opportunities themselves, the Europeans, and... Uh, that's kind of where, you know, it went from being an, an 8 out of 10 to a 6 out of 10 performance for me. Yeah, I, I think I probably tend to agree. That 10-minute period when, when Georgia have 14 men on the field was horrendous. And we've seen it time and time again through our Super Rugby over the last probably 10 years that the Australian teams don't know how to manage 10-minute periods against less opposition. We saw... In 2015, Wales not be able to score tries against a 13-man Wallabies team. And you, you remember the heroic tackles from those like Ben McCallman yep. throughout, throughout the World Cup. But you're right, it's back-to-back mistakes because the scrum penalty comes off the back of the Carter Gordon kick. And in, in international rugby, particularly knockout rugby, you don't get many opportunities to make the most of, of those chances. And... You're right, heads up rugby. And it's quite likely that if Quad Cooper's there, he probably makes the right decision. What you hope is that if he's fronted, confronted with that, that uh, scenario again, that he doesn't make the same mistake. That, you know, right there when you're up against 14 on a hot conditions, put it through the hands, cut out, use the man in the inside. Uh, it, it was a poor moment that probably summed up Carter Gordon's day where there was some good stuff and there was some bad stuff and that's what you're going to probably get with a 22 year old 
but you're right. Like they've broken so many rules with how they've selected this squad. Who could they possibly turn to? Ben Donaldson at 10? We didn't do anything this year for the Waratahs at 10. He probably had one or two of his better moments at fullback. So, uh, particularly in that quarterfinal defeat against the Blues. So, I I wouldn't imagine too many changes to to the 15. I could see a bit of tinkering on the on the bench. A Nick Frost perhaps comes on. Clearly, there's a change at nine. Um, there's a decision to be made about whether or not you want the experience in the and and maybe you don't want to fight fire with fire against Fiji and perhaps the discipline skill set of Nick White is well suited to coming up against a flying Fijian team where perhaps still their Achilles heel is up front in the set piece and slowing the game down and then you bring on an Isaac Fires, Lele Iwasa, similar player to Tate McDermott to hopefully inject that speed, that tempo into the game in, in the second half when troops are tied. But you can imagine that this Fijian team will be throwing everything at them and that they're going to have to take their uh, opportunities because if they leave as many points out there as they did, if Ben Donson misses as many tackles he did in that last 10 minutes, that Fiji score those sorts of tries and that all of a sudden a 35-15 win in the first game suddenly... Uh, it could have been easily a seven-point game had those couple of tries to be scored at the end from from Georgia. Yeah, and I'm not completely ruling out that Georgia can't do something against either Fiji or Wales, and, and obviously Fiji have had the loss tonight, so that for them would be terminal. Um, but you know, Fiji have beaten Wales previously. As we mentioned, there was there was moments in that second half that that could have fairly needed been a you know, really been a, a one-score game on a couple of occasions, right? That um, they they started to really open up and test the Wallabies. They're not a set-piece, just a set-piece team anymore, as we mentioned. Showed some endeavour. Um, they've got some really, you know, speedy outside backs there that can can open them up. And, and the Wallabies started to look very vulnerable on the counter. And it was an interesting transition from, I thought they kicked really well in probably the first 20 and 30. And, and that was where they set the game up. Um, Mark Nwaiti who we, we might come to a little bit more shortly, was superb in the air, or maybe we can talk about him right now um, from an aerial perspective. He's, he's clearly one of the best in the world um, in the air at the moment, but it was Donaldson and Gordon nailing the depth and height of those kicks. They gave him every opportunity to get through, get up, and secure that ball, and, and he did the rest. And, and talking to him briefly in the mix zone afterwards, um, I, I love the fact that he, he just said to me, it's just a want. I just want the ball, right? There's, there's no, I said, mate, well, what's your secret? Is it timing? Is it the leap? Is it, you know, the speed that you, you get through and get up? And he said, no, it's just, I want to get the ball. Um, so you got to love that from, from Marky Mark as, as he's known back in Australia, but it really fell away after that 20 or 30. And, um, you get the feeling with bigger fish to fry, starting with, Fiji next Sunday that they won't be able to afford that again if if they have a period like that particularly if they're up a man and they concede a try um, and, and other line break opportunities like they did the other night uh, on Saturday night rather they're going to get burned for it um, I I just feel that there's you know uh, to bring it all back to to pull C again that there's, there's drama to come right like I 
I'm excited for the next couple of weeks, but also um, you'd yeah, be a brave man, woman or other to suggest how it's all going to play out. Totally. Totally. And we even saw uh, moments, hours later with England and Argentina, didn't we? That uh, a red card in the third minute, and yet still a 14-person English side managed to really annihilate Argentina. And, and we can expect similar sort of things against uh, the, the two opposition to come, Fiji and Wales. And Fiji, like Joshua Tuisova, the amount of power he has, he's the only person in the world who has bigger cars than Sam Bruce. And those are the sorts of people with the semi-radradra, power athletes. It's what it's what Eddie Jones has spoken about all year, hasn't it? The power in the Wallabies' backline, and perhaps as well with guys like Taniela Tupo as well. Well, this is kind of power v power, and both teams aren't necessarily conventional. They aren't necessarily structured it all the time, but. There are points to be scored there. I can see it being pretty open, this game. For sure, for sure. And just to clear that, that that's slur up. Um, Christy and I had a race uh, out to State of France on uh, on Thursday for the for the Wallabies media. He was in thongs um, and he thought he could take me up a, a set of stairs. And um, I was in runners or joggers, whatever you, you call it, whatever, where you exercise in and got the better of him. I'm happy to take him on in St. Etienne this week. So if that's something you'd you'd like to see uh, from the ESPN Scrum Reset pod, maybe we can film that uh, over a quick 50 metres on flat or upstairs as it was, and um, we'll bring you the results um, on next week's pod. I know the Sanetian grounds pretty well. I'm happy to take that. Well, then you go. We might have to take it somewhere, you know, uh, the next village over, given you've uh, you spent a bit of time there already with the local knowledge um but anyway we'll 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 come to that um in the next seven days or so uh yeah look just to go back to you mentioned will skelton earlier and i think you know a a lot of people were were shocked and certainly when you and i you broke down uh the embargoes uh world cup squad release and i think we said at the time i was i was on the farm at at coonabarab and in the yards with the old man doing a bit of cattle work and came in. I'd missed that earlier in the day and came back in three hours later and there was the, the cheeky little C next to Will Skelton's name and I called you and said, mate, is this, is this legit? Um, am I, you know, have I got a different media release to you? And and certainly it wasn't the case, but you probably saw for the first time, I think there was maybe, you know, Bledisloe 2, uh, sorry, not Bledisloe 2 because he wasn't captain then, but he certainly played like a guy who, who could lead in that point. But, um, he really led from the front, didn't he? There was, there was a, I think 10 carries in total, not big gains, but just putting his hand up saying, give me the ball. I'm going to put, you know, this team on my back and, and have a crack at this line, a couple of breakdown turnovers. Um, he, he's not a guy that, and we've known this for some time, right? It's the talk out of Europe for so long has been, how are you Australians not picking this guy in your Wallabies team. It just, it, it beggars belief that he's not a focal point of, of how you should be trying to play. And um, I, I think now that, you know, we've seen the past few weeks, um, he, what he did before he was captain, but particularly on Saturday night at, at Stade de France, that this is a guy who's at the top of his game. Uh, he's incredibly fit. Um, He's a man of few words, like it's a bit of blood out of a stone kind of action from a media perspective for you and I. But um, he 
the way he played the other night, you just felt, you know, you could understand why Ben Donaldson, as World Cups go, and, you know, they got the sponsored man of the match and you the presentation that you score 25 points, you're going to get the man of the match, right? That's that's a given. But it's a, it's a back game. <laughs> it's a bloody back game. If you were uh, to every, you know, well, not even a good judge, but to anyone who watched that game the other night and thought, give me your top three players, that I would say, you know, 99% of people would have said, well, Will Skelton was certainly in, in that class. Um, he, he was excellent, wasn't he? He was my man in the matches, and, and I said that uh, immediately, and I, I still think that two breakdown turnovers, one where he's made the tackle and got on it like a seven might or, or a hooker bind at times, uh, a second one in the second half, both times nothing came of it. That's probably the dodgy work from those backs that we speak of, but <laughs> um, it got through them all really well. Ten really hard carries, really hard carries through the Georgian pack, and and I spoke, we spoke to to Tate, uh, sorry, rather, we were in the post-match press conference and and he made mention of when he addressed the side after 35 minutes and it was about, look, Tate was down and it was one of those critical moments where I wanted to bring them together, the team, and calm them down. And that was my approach, calm them down and getting them back on track. And that, to me, summed up a player that knows how to win that when there is a little bit of anxiety, get back and doing your job. We don't need to talk. We don't need the Nick Watts of the world just screaming in people's heads and and and, and perhaps adding to the anxiety. We need to be completely focused on the next role and do it well, do it very, very well indeed. And, and I love the moves. And it's he, he doesn't have the track record of a Dylan Hartley, but what he does have... Uh, and another Eddie Jones captain, uh, it's kind of come from the clouds, beat captain is that he's respected by everyone because he's a winner. But also the Wallabies need to find that 5 to 10% out of him that we haven't seen, an Australian audience hasn't seen, perhaps ever from Will Skelton. There's always been more. It's always been more. And Eddie Jones is trying to find that 5 to 10%. And if, if he finds that 5 to 10%, the Wallabies have got a greater chance of not just victory, but World Cup victory. Before we, we park the Wallabies uh, for this pod, um, the scrum, uh, it was interesting. I, I overheard an English uh, journal in, in the press room and uh, it wasn't as busy as it was for France, New Zealand on, on Friday night, clearly, but there was still a good crowd uh, in, in the media throng and um, we're not exactly thrilled with World Rugby on this pod because they're charging us for food. Um, so uh, a little bit disappointing on that front. Um, and uh, the water supply is not that strong. So as well as the punters, they're not looking after the media World Rugby. So we'll just put that out there in, in the environment, um, in the rugby ecosystem. But um, yeah, this I just got with this, uh, you know, as you're walking past and you hear various conversations and heard this, uh, the Georgians will do a number on the Wallaby scrum tonight. And, you know, over the past you know, recent history, apart from the odd year or the odd test where the Wallabies have fronted up, that um, that is, you know, probably a fair assumption to make ahead of kickoff. But I, I did wonder if this particular gentleman had caught um, the France game the other week, uh, a fortnight ago. Um, maybe that wasn't the case because if he had, he would have seen a front row that when Angus Bell and, and Taniela Tupu were there and, and certainly Dave Brecky at hooker from a scrum perspective... Um, 
is really making strides forward uh, in that department. Um, they they were dominant in that first forty, weren't they? And um, maybe Angus Bell wasn't quite as dynamic around the park, but that front row, that scrummaging performance was was mightily impressive. And and a bit more on Taniello, it was his fiftieth cap, and it's a guy that you know has had a couple of injuries coming back from the Gillies, and he admitted in the mix zone on on Saturday night that he did have doubts whether he was going to get back to him. And and you got to think that these are two guys as well who spent a lot of time in in team rehab throughout the year. Angus Bell was injured in the first game of Super Rugby with that recurrence of that foot injury, and Taniella was doing the hard yards on his way back from from that Achilles, as we mentioned. And I'm sure they probably went to some dark places, thinking, you know what, you know, they egged each other on, but at the same time, they both inside thought maybe it's not going to happen for us this year. There's not a lot of depth there. We 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 know that James Slipper might return this week. I think Pone might be another week after that, by the sounds of things. But um, this this was a a watermark, a watershed rather performance from an Australian front row, wasn't it? And we just will will slightly shift perceptions of it. And that's a big thing with scrummaging, isn't it? It's just the narrative that exists out there from a, an official's perspective, a media perspective, that you start winning a few scrums, a few scrum penalties, uh, and suddenly you're viewed as a dominant scrum, then um, that's a big weight off your shoulders. Yeah, and Neil Hatley, actually, the, the Wallabies forwards coach who's taking care of the scrum, he spoke about that a couple of months ago when when I asked him about perception, how important it was to paint a good picture early on. And if you see where the Wallabies have come from against South Africa and Pretoria, when they were without Angus Bell, without Taniel and Tupo, to where they are now, it's chalk and cheese. The unfortunate reality for the Wallabies is it's still wafer thin. That if either one of Taniel Tupo, particularly, yeah. or Angus Bell go down, uh, then they're in all sports. And I think the World Cup's over, essentially. It's resting on a knife's edge with those two. Uh, the scrum is strong whilst they're there. And when you've got a Will Skelton, that tight head locker, a, a, a Richie Arnold behind him too, who's spent time at, at, at the tight head side too, and then they're in a good position. Uh, their scrum with those guys up front and those props, you're not going to get too many better in the world. The big thing for me is consistency. And I asked Daniel Tupo that afterwards. Is it a mental thing for him or a physical thing? Because we know that he's had a couple of issues recently, but the big thing for him is that he hasn't had uh, consistency at test level. The occasional, a really dominant performance off the bench never really quite owned a match from the outset, particularly against the All Blacks. And what is the the missing piece of the puzzle for Taniela Tupo? And he kind of acknowledged both, but I think he did say initially mental. It's mental for him. And it's not a surprise. There's so much going on in his background from having a young family to being a million-dollar player to being one of the faces of Australian rugby a bit of a class clown, but also a person that the game rests so heavily on. Uh, I love speaking to Taniela. He he puts everything out there. Um, he, he loves it. He enjoys being out there, but he's vulnerable. And consistency is going to be the last thing that he needs to find in his game. And the Australian, the Wallabies set up has kind of had a, few questions asked about how how many staff there are, 22 or so staff there are. If you had about 10 psychologists for, for Daniel Tupo, it might be too many, but 
it's absolutely an area of his game that he needs to work on getting that consistency right. There was a fleeting moment too there where he, he thought he might get to the try line on that. I don't know what you call it, an interception or a loose carry or an offload. I, I still I watched it again today from from the it was off. Off. It was off. It was off. The it, it, it was. Uh, it was. A, that was a. That was the moment of the second half, wasn't it? That was. Maybe we mentioned it beforehand, or maybe perhaps didn't declare it as that. But if that goes to hands, or the Georgians string a couple of phases to, they had really had the Wallabies on the hop. But um, Tanella gets it, takes off in the other direction, and, and gets the offload to to Ben Donaldson. So um, yeah, joke that he he should have dummied and and kept going, but. Um, I don't know, Nella. I don't think he quite had the toe to get there, mate. There was probably another thirty-five to go, and I think you made the uh, the right decision to <laughs> to put the old basketball style uh, hook shot there, Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Jabbar rather, uh, over the top around the corner to, uh, to Donaldson for the try. What he did do very well, though, was getting to the half act twice in quick succession in the first half. He went once to the left with a beautiful spiral pass. Second ruck in a row, he gets there, he shapes to the right and swings back to the left. He's actually a baller, and we've seen it with skills at times, with kind of wild passes, another one on the weekend. He is a phenomenal player. Uh, and I really hope that this is the tournament from an Australian perspective. This is the tournament that he's not just the Tanella Tongan ball, that he is a world-class tight head because his potential is there. He's got it. All the tools that he's disposable, but at the moment you can't say he's world class merely for the fact that he's never been able to shrink from a test perspective more than two games together. Yeah, it puts the focus on next Sunday uh, in San Etienne against the Fijians. Uh, mate, right. Um, dangerous tackles, head on head, high tackles. Uh, I I don't want to call us oracles, but I feel like even at 12.57 a.m. on the 11th of the September, um, September that was, that might've been depth September then. Um, but anyway, uh, I feel like this has been coming this weekend in terms of, um, red and yellow cards and high contact and TMOs and dangerous tackles and bunkers and whatever else. But, uh, to get a, to get a, a straight red, a, a yellow, sorry, a, a yellow bunker referral red, a yellow non-bunk, yellow bunker stayed yellow, and then a non-sanctioned uh, at all in three games. Um, we've got the trifecta from the opening weekend. I thought we might get it over the entirety of the tournament, but we've ticked the boxes in one weekend. So um, congratulations to those involved. Uh, and and I, I'm just at a loss. Yeah, I, I fear for. Um, people watching the game for the first time or maybe sat down to watch a few games this week. And maybe if you watch one, then you, you're not all that confused. But if you, you're committed to to multiple games this weekend, if you're in the right time zone and, and maybe not getting up in the middle of the night in Australia or, or called the, the stand catch-ups or the, the minis or whatever. But um, as, a, as a neutral, as a, you know, a, a fan finding the game for the first time, you would just go, my goodness, like, what's the deal here? Because... You've got three, not exactly um, the same incidents, but certainly the first two, um, Tom Curry and then the Chilean uh, Segudo, whose name escapes me, I'll find it for a second, shortly. And then the Jesse Creel against Scotland today that, that went unpunished. 
I mean, there's camera angles, there's TMOs and, and broadcasters and, and everything else that goes through it. But in this age of social media, it only takes for one person to pick something up and put it out there um, in the atmosphere for discussion. And uh, as I said, we, we've ticked the box already this weekend, uh, everything we thought we might get over the tournament. But surely, I mean, he's got a case straight away as a precedent that's not a precedent case, but a, it's a precedent incident. Um from the Chilean today that um, is almost exactly the same, but for the the slight difference that Matsushima didn't actually leave the ground to take his kick. He just ran in and got it. So that's a minor difference, but um, I mean, I've just, not everyone's going to, you know, we don't actually, this is not a vodcast, if you like, at least in its entirety, but i got my hands up in the air. Shoulder strug going, I don't know, I'm at a loss. Bruce, you're always going to be at loss at a loss at these sorts of things. We know that you're a passionate bloke. The reality is, like cricket, um, like like other sports, there's always going to be conjecture. There's always going to be subjectivity. There's always going to be grey. <clears throat> and I, I, I'm not as surprised by what we're saying. And, you know, and I know that you're not surprised either. I think the Tom Curry incident in particular probably shouldn't have been a red card. And if that's not a red card, then we don't go through a feeling like we have over the last week and with the inconsistency. And that's what the players and coaches want. I remember speaking to Andrew Calloway only a month ago before the Wildman's left, and and I asked him around the old Farrell incident, and he just said, look, all we want now is hopefully that's a precedent. Hopefully that that has set, set it right or, or set it however the parameters are going to be adjudicated and judged over the World Cup because... You don't want a big game being reflected on on a moment like that, and you're going to have there was what there was eight was it eight World Cup matches this weekend, sixteen teams were, yep. in, were were in participation. That's eight different sets of eyes with different TMOs. It's always going to be the case, and hopefully there weren't too many games decided by these sorts of incidents and. We certainly didn't see it in England and Argentina because the side that had the huge leg up wasn't able to, in fact, win the match. I think that's probably the one blessing in disguise here. The, yep. the, the side that was probably a little bit harshly dealt with um, in that incident didn't didn't lose. I'll be fascinated by uh, whether or not Tom Curry is suspended. I don't think he should be suspended. I think he's already copped his punishment. It's impossible to know where and how a player is going to land, at what height they are going to land. Uh, but it's slightly overshadowed, maybe the opening weekend of World Cup rugby. But but I think it's as long as it's not in a, in a knockout match, I'm I'm happy to kind of roll with the punches because there always is going to be in rugby. And and while we would have liked for this to be cleared up previously. I, I guess I can't think off the top of my head an incident exactly like, you know, it's probably coincidental that we almost got two very similar in back-to-back World Cup games, but um, of a kicker coming down, sorry, a, a fullback or a back three coming to take a kick and come down and uh, and take the catch and then get collected head-on-head. I guess the one problem I have with, with it is that there's, there's no dip of the hips from either of those, those players, Curry or the, or the Chilean. Um, and that's what we've been told. That's what we were told around the, the Farrell thing. And I wrote an article around that 
as a central point that you know we've got to get the tackler the tackler has got to get the body height down and we understand that these incidents happen at high speed and and that's acceptable but at least now with these back-to-back we draw a line in the sand and we say okay if we see another one like that it's either going to be if tom curry gets upgraded or the chilean maybe gets and and i haven't actually checked the media zone the last few hours to hear if the chilean has been cited further so i'm not sure forgive me if when we publish this pod because as I say it's 104 a.m i might not get to it tonight but um if we wake up in the morning and that has happened then you know this discussion will clearly take a, a different direction but it, it, either way hopefully we'll get a line in the sand and say you know what in this instance head on head from these kicks you know with a degree of uh, i don't think it was too much mitigation in either that we can agree that either it's a red yep or it's a yellow yep um and then you know in this era of technology and and we can't i guess hope to catch absolutely everything um and this there was an eagle-eyed snapper on 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 social media who picked up the creel incident and i did see it at the time we didn't get a broadcast or certainly myself watching here on on france tv3 or whatever it was this afternoon didn't get a replay but i did think at the time oh that looked high i wouldn't mind another look at that but um yeah i i, I just you know uh, we've been here before haven't we and and our greatest fear around this tournament that it was always going to be troubled or at least um hopefully not decided by incidents like this and maybe that if we can get you know it out of the way this weekend i, I don't think we will but at least find a better measure of consistency on on what we've seen this weekend will be a it will be a bonus, but um, it, it certainly wasn't a great look for the tournament on, a, on its opening weekend. Along with the, the dramas around the the operations delivery at, at the stadiums, this was the other big cloud hanging over the head that we've had three similar incidents that were a red, a yellow, and, and a non-sanction thus far. And let's just leave that caveat there for now. Thus far. Um, uh, it wasn't, you know, the the ideal weekend. No, it wasn't, and and I think it should also be added that Tate McDermott gets knocked out at King Cass from being very very low. So sometimes the drop in body height doesn't necessarily mean that you don't absolutely. Get absolutely. I, I thought the Creel one was worse than the Tom Curry one for me, and and that was my first take, and it was my tenth take as well. Uh, the, the 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 good thing there is that I don't think the players that were affected there from having uh, a knock to the head necessarily got concussion or from the outset. I know that there can be delayed concussion, but you don't want a player rubbed out because of a, a head knock that should have been, um, that shouldn't have occurred from the tackler just ensuring their responsibilities of tackling below the head or or dropping their heads. So that's what you don't want to see is a, is a top-line player rubbed out, ruled out because of that. Absolutely. And we'll look to week two and hope for, you know, a little bit more consistency or even, a you know, no incidents at all would be wonderful that we keep 15 players on the, the team and, and everyone fit and healthy. Uh, mate, before we wrap up, we, we better address Friday night. Um, look, we were both there. Uh, the off-field... Issues aside, or rather the operations and supporter issues, which you know you and I probably weren't privy to at the time. I did think when we were walking in that it just feels like there's a few more people here 
two hours out from kickoff, even considering an open opening ceremony. Um, I, I did wonder at the time that maybe the organisational side of things wasn't as it should be. But um, what, did France were they you know the standout performance of the weekend for you? Uh, expectation. Um, we know there are injuries they had in the build up. Um, and then they were behind and probably a French team, you know, many editions of it beforehand would have fallen a complete heap and, and been beaten by 25 or 30 by the All Blacks the other night early on. But um, they steadied, they got on top um, and in the, in the end were, were worthy winners and pretty much dominated that entire second half. So were they your most impressive team of the opening weekend? They were. They they just managed to go past South Africa. I thought South Africa were very good, and they showed what they are in terms of a physical outfit, a side that can take their opportunities and bank points too. But the fact that France and I'm not surprised, but they were impressed, uh, impressive. But I'm not surprised because they have so many top line European players that have won matches both for club and country. And I talk about the Gregory Aldrich, who were phenomenal to the. Antonio's to the uh, Geelong's, uh, the Daniel Pinot's, they managed to, despite falling behind early in the first half and second half, despite 78,000 people there, despite the opening ceremony, the president being there, they managed to rally and to uh, even a Jaco Piper wave away from what looked to me like a forward pass. They managed to get through that, get through the adversity the nerves, the anxiety, the hopes of a nation, and still put away a good New Zealand side, and not just put them away, but beat them well in the end. I thought it was a, and you were quite right to point out the injury hiccups in the past. They'll get better when the when a Jonathan Dalton comes back in or a Cyril Bile comes back in. Those guys get injected back into the team. Wow, like they will be a, a tough, tough team to beat with world class champions particularly guys like DuPont who had moments where he showed his absolute caliber and his best, but at the same time was still had a fair bit to go, I think. He sure did. I saw one um, prominent uh, English scribe and, and those of you who were on social media might've seen uh, who it was uh, declared that he was awful. I don't know that he was awful, but um, I thought New Zealand, you know, probably, managed that first half really well. They kicked far better than France did. But then that kind of shifted in the second half and, and DuPont just started to dictate terms a little bit more. There was a couple of um, little plays that you might not have seen on TV and and certainly the change of direction um, and that beautiful slide of hand from Jalabert, that little in and away, the two, three defenders he drew in to put Pinot earlier had been denied. Moments earlier by 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 Richie Moore was was just a you know beautiful bit of play, of, of playmaking and um, they just kind of started to really take the upper hand in the second half and I think it probably really speaks to their depth doesn't it you know the the hooker that that came on um, I just went looking for his name before and um, I can't find it but I will shortly um, had to come on early in the first half and clearly Jalabert replacement for Intermac and. Um, Maui Fana did a fair job deputising for, for Dante. Um, but it was the way that, you know, as I mentioned before, that after the All Blacks scored in the second minute and the third minute of the second half, um, after that, that dubious um, pass from Rico Ioanni to Talia, who bagged the double, that you thought, 
you know, maybe it's not going to be France's night. I feel like we've seen this this story before of an expectation of a French team that that just suddenly it all goes to pieces and and it didn't. They they steadied and and it just also if we bring it back to goal kicking briefly and Ben Donaldson kicking six out of seven. Um, I think Ramos was maybe six out of eight uh, off the top of my head. Um, but just having the confidence in a guy like that, that even though they were you know comprehensively outplayed in that first half. Um, uh, they went to the break up nine eight, didn't they? Yeah, from off the top of my head. So you know that's that's a, that's a massive factor. Um, and, and we saw it. Um, Marty Libok won't have been thrilled with the way he was hitting the ball for South Africa today, and and Scotland were again uh, while they couldn't come over and get the job done in the second, that they were only six three down at half time on the account of Libok missing a couple of shots there, and and they were really hanging in the game and. I think South Africa for Scotland is about the worst matchup that they can have. The two, the contrasting styles that they play the game. But um, yeah, France, uh, a, a real marker in the sand. And Italy, I uh, just, I don't think they're going to go close to either New Zealand or France. You'd like to be there to be one more competitive game against either of those teams in Pool A to kind of, you know, even out against the rest of the pools because I think we're going to see that in the others. Um, but um, if you're a France fan, it's probably a big, you know, deep breath and think, right, oh, that's job one done. We we won't look completely into the quarters. We're still going to get past Italy on that final, might be the Friday night of that final weekend of pool fixtures. Um, but um, you just it just grew a little bit in confidence with their performance on Friday night. Oh, it was in the same way that Wales and Fiji was the match of the round, the weekend, the the match that brought the World Cup to life. It was so crucial, I think, that France won that first game against New Zealand. Uh, from a neutrals perspective, I thought it was it was really great. Their voice will grow. It was a quieter affair than what we saw two weeks earlier with the Wallabies up against uh, France in, in the last game before the World Cup got all underway. That was a festival-like atmosphere where right from the outset, everyone was up for it. And you could hear it from when... The PA announcer would name the first name of, of each other. Yes, correct. But it wasn't nearly as loud in that World Cup match. Um, and to me, that that signified a little bit of this is a different audience. It's a bit it's apprehension a global, there as well. It's a, it's a global audience, but it's also a, a, a team and a nation that is. Right, we're now, this is the big dance. We're ready, we're here to host the World Cup, but there's a fair bit riding on it. They'll grow, they'll get better. Um, congratulations to them. All in all, I think a great start to the World Cup, and I'm so excited for the next couple of weeks because each each week there is anticipation. And, and for me, the match of the round next weekend is Australia Fiji. That's a huge game, and I, I'm so excited to be there, and I know you'll be there too. Sunday afternoon, yes, making my way down on the train. I got my uh, my ticket booked tomorrow morning. Uh, looking forward to learning a little bit more about St. Etienne, although I feel like I'm out in the sticks and um, it could be an interesting week. But um, we'll address that uh, from an off-field perspective on on next week's pod. Uh, I just found the, uh, the replacement hooker's name. You know, Peter Malaka, uh, he was brilliant. That short line out at the front, um, jipped over the top. And, you know, he was, uh, I think he had another, another run late in the second half. But um, they got great value off their bench as well didn't they uh, Luke who's applying a kick for for Jaminet there to, to really put the exclamation mark on 
on that victory. Uh, and I think, you know, what we did see over the weekend is how important kicking's going to be, um, uh, not just for goal, but in general play. Um, but uh, the matches shifted, the momentum shifted on the ability to, to kick well, either for for touch or space or or in the air and and bring your uh, bring your chases into the game as we saw with Mark Nwanganirasi. Uh, uh, all right, mate. That's one sixteen a.m. So I was actually thought we might get an earlier night tonight after a three a.m. and I think two and one. So we we probably a slightly come back over the weekend. But um, yes, as one punter said to me on social media this weekend, oh, tough gig, suck it up, or to the effect of that. Uh, so we'll do that. Um, we'll say thanks very much for, for tuning in. We're psyched to be here. Um, uh, yeah, uh, a great weekend of Rugby World Cup, apart from a few off-field you know, issues and clearly what we discussed on the field this weekend. Um, really whet the appetite for what's to come and um, yeah, can't wait to, to rip into week two. Get a good sleep. I'll see you down in Sinodian and it's going to be a heck of a week because it's just started and it's a long campaign it's important you get your shut eye, Brucey. Thanks, mate. I'll, I'll look after that right now. Um, as for you out there, just give us a shout out. Anything you want to hear, any questions uh, about what's taking place in France or what you'd like to tackle on on next week's pod, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're thrilled and we're, we're very privileged to be here. So if we can help you out in any way of uh, any news or understanding some bits and pieces you might have missed, then, then just let us know because we'd uh, be only happy only so happy to do so uh, in the meantime have a great week and uh, enjoy the next weekend and we'll, we'll talk to you soon cheers